Hey, Steve. Sarah, how are you? Well, I wanted to check in on our, our little high stakes bet, if you will. Uh, I just, first of all, let's level set here. Let's make sure we still agree on the bet. My understanding of the bet is that I said, if Trump runs, which is now we can get that part out of the way because he is running. So the bet was, if Trump runs, that I said he would be the Republican nominee. And at some point then we doubled down on that. So now it's a two steak dinner about Trump winning the nomination. Is that correct? Um, so I had a slightly different understanding of the bet, but, but I'll, let's no, no, no. go with yours. What was yours? Let's go with yours. No, now I'm curious. Um, so my understanding was that the first part of the bet was exactly as you described. Okay. Maybe I'm that forgetting the second I part. Had, I had the not, yeah. right? Trump is Trump will not be the Republican nominee. But then in a moment, uh, a fit of boldness before the, the 2022 midterms, I believe I doubled down um, by saying that Joe Biden would not be the nominee for the Democratic Party. Oh, I think you're right. I have to be honest about that. I feel not so great <laughs> about that part of the bet right now. But there's a lot. There's a long time. Could happen. There is. Anything could happen. Okay, so I just wanted to check in on how you're feeling about it. Um, so let's just take it one party at a time here. How are you feeling about the Republican side of the bet? The Republican side of the bet, I, I'm sort of where I was. Um, certainly, we've seen Donald Trump have much better polling in the past uh, several weeks. And, you know, to the extent that that we thought irresponsibly this far out that it could possibly be a two-person race between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis has lost some altitude. Um, his polling has has declined uh, over the past couple of weeks. But this was always a long-term bet. Um, my view is the, the more people become reacquainted with Donald Trump, the less they're going to like him. Uh, I said that at the time, being fully aware that I had said the same thing in 2016. and <laughs> turned out to have been wrong about that. Um, maybe, maybe my faith in Republican primary voters is misplaced, uh, but I have a hard time still believing that they're going to renominate Donald Trump. I also think it's relevant that this is a bet on what we think will happen, not on what we want to happen. For sure. Uh, and I often like I'm an I'm a catastrophizer. Like I always plan for sort of the worst case scenario. Ever told you the one time it's never happened before you plan anytime you're about to have an uncomfortable conversation with someone. I just like go through it in my head for hours and hours. Like that's my personality. But there's one time it actually was exactly what I prepared for in my catastrophizing. And it's really relevant to this conversation, <laughs> uh -oh. which is I, I had to interview for my job at the Department of Justice, which, um, you know, it's the director of public affairs. Uh, so it's not a not senior position, but it's still like it's not the attorney general and it's not the deputy attorney general. And Donald Trump made me come to the Oval Office to have a job interview with him for that job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and my catastrophizing version was that he would go through all of the things I had ever said about him on cable news <laughs> in the run up to the 2016 election. And as I was standing there in front of the Resolute desk in, a, in the Oval Office on a beautiful January day, that's exactly what happened. Is it really? <laughs> Yeah. He, he had a folder. He, he had a folder and he opened the folder and just started reading. He's like, you said on whatever October date that I was smart, but a bad person morally. <laughs> like it went on from there. <laughs> um, so I'm feeling 
concerningly good about my side of the bet. I think that there's obviously a path for Ron DeSantis or even a Ron DeSantis, if you will. But history is on my side. Donald Trump is the clear front runner, has been. That's not going to, I have a hard time imagining that's going to change in the next three months. And if that's the case, those six months of polling have been pretty predictive, you know, about 50%. And we haven't even seen someone who's this far ahead, even if you go back to 2008 with the Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama um, polling, you know, Hillary Clinton, I don't think was this far ahead of Barack Obama, really. And so Donald Trump is maintaining his lead. And it does remind me of 2016 in the sense that we're all like, yeah, but it can't continue. And it did. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think you're you're right to be confident about it um, at this point. It, it's let me ask you the question. Assuming Donald Trump um, runs the way that he has started his campaign. So in the in the immediate weeks after he announced right after the 2022 midterms, he was still looking backwards. He was focused on the election. I was feeling much worse about the bet in November. Yeah, much worse. Um, I was feeling pretty good about the bet (laughs) in November. Um, Notice how we've started having these conversations now. Right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> good point. Did you just now decide that, that we should check in on the. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I like seeing you squirm. But isn't it, I mean, setting, setting aside the, the fact that um, I was wrong about this in 2016 and very similar so was dynamics uh, yeah. could, could be at play again here. Isn't it hard for you to believe, given everything that we've seen about Donald Trump and notwithstanding the the polling, I mean, there's now incontrovertible evidence that the guy effectively tried to commit a soft coup. There's no evidence to support his claims that the election was stolen from him. Uh, We've seen in 2018, 2020 and 2022 that he's a bad, he's not just a drag on the Republican Party. He's a bad, bad drag on the Republican Party, and it strikes me as virtually inconceivable that he could win a general election given his deep unpopularity over the broader electorate. Don't Republican voters at some point, so even if they don't have a problem or they, maybe some of them believe the election denialism, I think it's about a 50-50 uh, split according to, to, to Nick's latest newsletter. Don't they say like, hey, we want to win. This guy's been a loser. He's been a loser for us for three cycles in a row. So let me make your best case case to me, which is none of those things. Okay. Although I wish it were. Um, The part that gives me pause is that the polling is really hard for primaries where we know the order of the states and it doesn't really matter even what likely primary voters think because it's Iowa and that momentum carries to New Hampshire and that momentum carries to South Carolina and it's impossible to capture that in polling. So if you then chuck out the polling and instead look at some of the squishier metrics, how he's doing with crowds, what attention he's getting from the media for saying different things, that doesn't look at all like 2016. That does look... Actually, it looks worse than Hillary Clinton did in 2008. By those qualitative metrics, Donald Trump doesn't look very strong. 
And so the polling informs that a little bit, but, um, you know, whether it's CPAC or his attacks on Ron DeSantis, which seem to be having maybe some effect on Ron DeSantis, maybe that's why his poll numbers are dropping. And we'll see if the DeSantis team, once they're kicked into actual high gear here, can can counter those. Um, but all that's all that you really need to have happen is that Iowa picks DeSantis over Trump. Or somebody else. And, or sure, but I'm just DeSantis is my fill-in for right now. And that um that like catastrophe for Donald Trump then wildly cuts off his momentum heading into New Hampshire. You have DeSantis again, I'm using him as the, you know, fill in here, wins New Hampshire. And then this whole thing's kind of over. And it doesn't matter that 35% of Republican primary voters wanted Trump because they're going to see him as too weak to make it. And they're all fine with Ron DeSantis. And that's going to be the ballgame. I think that's your path. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and if, I think if you look at some of those other sort of soft metrics or even the, the intangibles, um, you know, he, he clearly look at the polling on whether Republican, likely Republican voters consider themselves first Trump supporters or Republicans. I mean, we've seen that it is essentially invert um, with two thirds of them, depending on your poll, considering themselves Republicans before they consider themselves Trump voters. And I think you've seen the, even among Republican elected officials, there was this call that the Trump campaign or the free Trump campaign put out in the days before the 2022 midterms, in the days before he launched his his reelection campaign or his new election campaign, I guess, asking for members of Congress to sort of come out and endorse him early to send a message to the field that he was big and tough and strong and maybe unbeatable. And what did he get? You know, eight, eight or ten? It seems to me that we're beyond the point, finally, at which Republicans are afraid to criticize Donald Trump. Now, we haven't seen that much from his fellow candidates, but I think we're likely to see more of it. And certainly there will be other Republican elected officials who will be taking shots at him and criticizing him, both in terms of his electability and in terms of his accomplishments or lack thereof, even if they don't go as far as I would like and say he's a a liar and a soft coup plotter. All right. So let's move to the Democratic side, because this one's really pretty quick and easy. And it applies to the Republican side. Um, I'm feeling obviously very good on the Democratic side. Joe Biden will be the Democratic nominee, but for yeah. an act of God, which with two candidates at this age, and I, by the way, spent way too much time on the Social Security Administration's actuarial tables page. <laughs> to look at what the real odds were, um, they're not great for either of these two guys. Now, of course, you're not factoring in any of their specific specifics, right? Um, but you are factoring in that they've made it to this age. How likely is it that they will make it to the, you know, in Joe Biden's case, I was looking at through, you know, from 82 years old, if an 82 year old is alive today, what's the likelihood that he lives to 86? Um, but look, the actuarial tables to make it through the next year and a half are pretty good. Yeah, I guess I think, well, to, 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 <laughs> to make this a darker conversation. To, yeah, I mean, it is a pretty dark conversation, uh, to be sure. The, the reason that I thought originally Biden was not likely to be the Democratic nominee was because he had been saying privately to 
to people that the 2022 midterm elections, you know, weren't really a, a, a referendum on his presidency and, um, you know, people shouldn't shouldn't see him as strong or weak based on the results of that. I, I think he was obviously anticipating a much stronger day for Republicans. Um, and so were members of his party. You had Democratic uh, elected officials, Democratic members of Congress were speaking out and saying that they thought Joe Biden should give someone else a turn, that it was someone else's time. Um, the election happens and immediately Joe Biden is telling everybody who will listen to him. This was definitely a referendum on my presidency so far, and it's been a pretty darn successful presidency. People like me, people don't like the Republicans. I think that's an overread of the, the 2022 results, but I think he's justified to a certain extent in, in making the argument that he's making. I don't think we have to think about um, Joe Biden potentially not making it to the point where he's the Democratic nominee. I think there are any of a number of other sort of age-related factors that could enter in before then, that would leave him very vulnerable. Um, you know, if he has a, a gaffe or he has, a, you know, a, a series of these moments on stage or in a speech where he, you know, ends up in these verbal cul-de-sacs, which he sometimes does, or he has a trip on the stairs of Air Force One, you can imagine a number of different things that would create sort of an oh shit moment for Democrats. Um, you're, you're already seeing, by the way, even as Joe Biden looks, you know, the likely Democratic nominee, you're still seeing people talking about make, making creative, creative uh, plans that they're floating about another vice president or different running mate, Greg Craig, who's, you know, sort of an avatar of the Democratic establishment in Washington, D.C., worked for the Clinton and Obama White Houses, had a, uh, I don't know if I'd call it clever, uh, New York Times op-ed about the way that the, the vice president should be picked given Joe Biden's advanced age. The, the conversations that have been taking place behind the scenes for a couple of years now are, are, seem to be taking place more and more in public, and that will accelerate if there's a problem. Fair enough. All right. Well, next time we check in, uh, <laughs> we can dive into where we're going to go even though we don't know who's picking up the check, because it's important to decide idea. that. Okay. okay. I, ha I have an idea. Table it. I'll, no. I'll hold it. Yeah, I'll hold, hold it. it. But Next it's, time. It's a good one. All right. Uh, have a great weekend, Steve. You too. Thanks. Bye. See ya.